0: You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast.
1: Amen. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated tonight. Thank you for being in the house of the Lord. And uh, we're going to take a look at God's word here tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. Thank you for everyone that's been so faithful around here. A lot of things going on this week. Amen. Had a great time in prayer yesterday and uh, had a great crowd here Monday night as well. And uh, thank you for that. God's doing good things. Amen. 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 And we're thankful for that. We're going to get into God's word tonight. Uh, I love the word of the Lord. There's nothing that will impact your life more, amen, than just the simple word of God. And there's nothing that will direct your life uh, more powerfully than just the simple word of God. The word of God impacts, uh, uh, or ought to impact, every every single aspect of our life. So uh, everything, whatever it is, whether it's uh, uh, relational, whether it's uh, how how I live my attitude, my spirit uh the 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 do's and the don'ts, the the better ways, the worse ways uh what my uh, motivations ought to be, what my priorities ought to be. every aspect of my life is informed or can be informed by the Word of God and so the Word of God is the most powerful thing in your life. it's the most powerful thing in your life. Well, probably, I mean, if we're going to get technical, not, not only is the word of God, the most powerful thing in your life. Well, it's the most powerful thing in your life. When you receive the word of God, when you obey the word of God, that's what makes it powerful. Right. And I've said this a lot. The best Bible is the one you read because the Bible doesn't do you much good. If it's just sitting on the shelf. Amen. So you can say, yeah, I have the Bible. I've got it there. But if you don't open that thing up and if you don't begin to read it, And then it's not just good enough to read it, you've got to then apply it. You've got to make it, uh, uh, how do I put this to work in my life? But the Word of God informs everything, believe it or not. The Word of God informs uh, you on your marriage. The Word of God informs, amen. Thank you for one amen. Amen. Praise God. Uh, How many know this? The Word of God, not only does it inform you on your marriage, it informs you before your marriage. Amen. Uh, the Word of God informs you on parenting. The Word of God informs you on everything, every aspect of your life. And nothing is more powerful than the Word of God. So that's why when we come on Wednesday night, um, you know, we're Pentecostal. We believe in the moving of the Spirit. We believe in the leading of the Spirit. And the Holy Ghost always takes precedence. God is the trump card to everything. We're not here to, we're not here to complete a program to impress God. We're here to, to do things in a functional, orderly manner that facilitates what God wants us to do. But when we come on Wednesday night, um, we come and we just come and we just open up the Word of God and say, okay, what does the Word of God say? Let's apply this to my heart. And I'm going to tell you, it is no less spiritual for us to sit down, to open up the Word of God, to look at what it says, to take our time, to then take that and apply that to my life. Okay, now I I know how I've got to make some adjustments. And we go home. And we may not shout, we may not scream, we may not holler, we may not you know, do all those things on Wednesday night or whatever else, but we can go home and, and by something that is just a simple thing that we see in the Word of God can change everything in your life. And we believe in the power of the Word of God. And so that's why on Wednesday nights we come in here and we just walk through Scripture. Amen. We're just doing that here tonight. Uh, I don't even know what part we're on. I think it's 25, but we're going to go to chapter 15 tonight. In 1 Corinthians, how many love 1 Corinthians? Are you enjoying 1 Corinthians? Amen. Amen. So uh, all of that was free, That was, uh, but now we're starting. So if you're starting your clocks, you can start now. 1 um, Corinthians chapter number 15. Amen. So we're going to begin here. We just came out of uh, three, uh, three chapters talking about gifts of the Spirit, the preeminence of love, uh, and now he turns to something else. He's just talked about how uh, gifts of the Spirit ought to be done in order in the church. And now he turns to another concern or consideration here in the church at Corinth. And let's read through this beginning here at verse number one. Moreover, brethren,
0: I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received and wherein you stand, wherein you stand, yes, by which also you are saved, mm-hmm. if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, mm-hmm. unless you have believed in vain. Amen. Read on. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day
1: according to the scriptures. Yes. Amen. All right, let's pause right there because that's a real, real long sentence here. And we'll continue on, but he begins first uh, talking about the gospel. So he is making now a defense of the gospel. And there's an interesting thing to see here. He gives three things that takes place, and that is uh, the gospel was preached, the gospel was received, and the gospel is something that we stand, wherein you stand, or something that you continue in. And so this is not just a moment in your life that uh, takes place Uh, It's not just an event that took place. It's not something that you just mark off on, uh, uh, I I did this and I accomplished it and now, no, it's a continual thing. So there's the preaching, the proclamation, there is the receiving, the accepting of that, walking in that, the, the initial obedience of that, and then there is the standing or the continuation in that. He's declaring to us the gospel. And he tells us what the gospel is. It's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He talks about that. Uh, Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture. He was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Now that's an interesting phrase, and that's an important phrase. I want you to uh, make note of that or underline that according to the scriptures. That's that's a highlight there, uh, because we're gonna use that Uh, especially when we get down to verse number 29. We're going to use that according to the scriptures. That's an important important thing to pay attention to. So he declares to us the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And then he says, right in verse number two, he said, it is this gospel by which you are saved. So it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves us. The church was saved, by what? By responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Right? We had to respond. Not, not only was it preached, the preaching didn't save you. Alone, it's the receiving of the gospel. And then you didn't just receive it, but you continue in it. You, you, you Wherein you stand. He goes on later on and says, um, uh, keep in memory what I preached unto you. You, you continue in this. You hold to this. So the gospel of Jesus Christ is what saves you, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Now, this is important. This is important because we cannot allow our Christian experience, our Christian traditions to step away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. We cannot allow our theology, our doctrine, our concept of salvation to step away from anything other than the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. So we can't step away, okay? you um, we can't come to some kind of a consciousness well that just God just loves all of us and 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 we just enter into some other kind of uh, well, it's just some other kind of false Christianity. and this is what they were dealing with in. The church at Corinth. Paul, remember, as we go through this, he's setting uh right the wrongs that they have established, wrong thinking, wrong things. So you cannot stray from that doctrine, that gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. So don't let anybody get up and say, Well, maybe, maybe there was a God, maybe there's not a God, but we can all be saved. Now this is crazy. I know this is crazy because you think who in their right mind would espouse to be a Christian and yet question whether or not the gospel of Jesus Christ is the central focus? Well, there's a lot. There's a lot of liberal uh, theologies, a lot of I- ideals that are coming out of so so-called seminaries today that would say, um, well. Maybe the word of God is true, but, you know, they they would say, well, the word of God's full of all kinds of errors and, and, uh, you know, they just, well, maybe Jesus really was a person. Maybe he really didn't actually raise from the dead. And of course, this is the issue that Paul is going to deal with. Paul is going to address this issue of the resurrection. Um, And there are, now they're dying. I'll tell you this, they are absolutely drying up and dying but these crazy liberal ideologies that believe that, well, maybe the Bible isn't true. Uh, Maybe uh, it's just man putting this all together. Maybe the historical Jesus, anybody ever heard that phrase, the historical Jesus? Well, they'll acknowledge the historical Jesus because they have to, because there's too much historical evidence for them to deny the historical Jesus. Um, They'll acknowledge the historical Jesus, but maybe he didn't do all the miracles. Maybe... um, Maybe uh, all these things just were allegories and they didn't actually really happen. Uh, if we ever walk away from that, we've lost everything. And this is what Paul is saying it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the death, it's the burial, it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came, he is who he says he was, uh, uh, who he says he is. He did what he said he did. And he's going to go through and talk about the proofs that he has. Uh, uh, the things that he has to prove this fact that this in fact happened. So you can have anybody ever have questions in the church? You ever have questions? Amen. Questions? You read your Bible? You have questions? Brother Brian, I wouldn't. This is what I did in my notes. But you had questions this week. He sent me a text and he said, "I need answers." What was your question? I can't even remember now. Jesus, oh yes. When Jesus fed the 5,000 with the loaves and the fishes, was that fish cooked or was that fish raw? Was it more like a raw fish type thing? He said, was it more like sushi or was it more like a tuna salad kind of concept? So I took that question very seriously and I gave him a very serious answer. And my answer was, the Bible doesn't tell us everything there is to know. It tells us everything we need to know. Um, I don't know um, on that. There are questions sometimes. So, so we can argue over that. Okay, people, sometimes they get great. Well, I believe it was raw fish. You see, it's okay to eat sushi. But other people, no, he took the time to cook it. It was whatever else. Okay, do well, you can argue with that. But we cannot argue. It can't be left up for debate. This is what Paul was saying. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not up for debate. This is central to this concept. If you don't have this, you cannot be a believer. If, if you don't understand this, you, you can't have any part with him. You can't access anything. You can't just think this, is, this thing doesn't work if you think it's just a good way to live. This this word will not work in your life if you think, well, it's not really true. Maybe Jesus lived, maybe he didn't live, but this is the best way to live. It's not going to work that way. The only way that this thing is going to work is if you put your faith Amen. Holy in Jesus Christ as the one true God who roamed himself in flesh, came down, dwelt among us, died for our sins, was buried. Amen. Was resurrected again, ascended up into heaven. Amen. And is alive forevermore. And so this is what Paul is talking about. So this is important. This is, this is, this is very critical. We can disagree about some things. We can come to certain passages and we can say, okay, well, well, we may disagree about this or whatever. We can respect one another, but there are some places where there are absolutes. You cannot disagree. This, this is it. It's settled. And, and this is what Paul is establishing. This is what Paul is laying out for us, if you will. Now, this is interesting because if you remember a few years ago, we, we did a series called uh, a, a harmony series And it was a topical series through the book of Romans, 16 times that Paul talks, uh, gives us instruction for having harmony. And Paul even makes a case in there that sometimes uh, with the Judaizers, people that believed differently, believed incorrect things, and Paul says, don't don't disenfranchise them. They're a part of the body. Uh, Love them as the weaker brethren. Defer to them, even though they don't understand everything, even though they're wrong doctrinally on some of their things, lifestyle, they're wrong on some of those things um, uh, work with one of them and, and you love one another, but then he comes here. No, this isn't up for grabs. This is not, this is not something you tolerate. You cannot tolerate in the church, in the body, somebody denying the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we're not being mean, we're not being haymongers, we're not, we're not throwing stones, we're not throwing rocks. When somebody takes a Bible, stands up in a so-called church behind a so-called pul- pulpit and preaches that, well, maybe it didn't happen, but this is the best way to live. No, I'm here to tell you, that's a false prophet. That, that's, that's a gospel that doesn't set you free. That's a gospel that doesn't liberate you, amen? amen. I have responsibility. There's the truth, amen, that sets you free and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free, amen? So uh, uh, not every church is equal. Not every place is equal. And this is what Paul is saying. There is an absolute thing. You've got to come to grips with this. So we understand this. So let's read on. And that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. Yes. After that, he was seen
0: of above 500 brethren at once. At once. Of whom the greater part remained unto this present. Yes. But some were fallen asleep. All right. After that, he was seen of James, yes, and of all the apostles. Mm -hmm. And last of all, he was seen of me also as
1: one born out of due time. Out of due time. Okay, so Paul is laying down some, he's laying down some uh, proofs, if you will, some proofs. Uh, The first, we preach this, you received it, this is what you stand in. The core of the gospel, obviously, is that Christ died and that Christ was raised. Uh, This is the core of the gospel. The proof that he died, well, he was buried. The proof that he was raised, well, he was seen of a lot of people that are still alive today. This was the proof. Uh, He's writing. Now, Paul's not writing in 2023 trying to convince us. Paul is writing right after the fact to the early church, to people who are still alive, and he says, proof that he was buried? Well, I can take you to Jerusalem. I can show you the records. I can take you to the same place. I can take you to the place where he was buried. There is a grave where he was buried. Proof that he rose again? Well, I can take you to people that stood and beheld him face to face. They saw him, and he said, the president under this day. Now, this is problematic. This is problematic for a lot of people that want to try to discredit Christianity because there is more historical evidences— for scripture and for the man, Jesus Christ, then uh, there is more eyewitnesses, more firsthand accounts, more uh, testimonies and accounts, other things, even in histories uh, that are referenced of him. uh, uh, And then within the first hundred years of his life, how much is written about him, testified of him, how many eyewitness accounts, it is astounding the 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 hundreds, the multitudes, uh, these things were passed around. These things were verified. These things were not refuted. They were understood because there was so many that testified. There wasn't an over. Uh, 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 there was no uh, overwhelming people that said no. This is not true. Nobody could come out because there was overwhelming uh, affirmation of all these things being written. We have more written about. Jesus Christ on this earth than we have written about Alexander the Great. Put that in perspective. And yet nobody's out there campaigning saying, well, maybe Alexander the Great didn't, didn't exist. Uh, if you go to, this is, this is an interesting thing. If you go to the study of Islam, I can't remember. It's, it's hundreds, I think the first people to reference some of the things about Muhammad are hundreds, like a couple hundred years after Muhammad is alive, is anything actually written? So, so today, for people who put their faith in Islam, uh, 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 the Muslim uh, religion, their written first written documentation that testifies is people testifying about what somebody said a hundred years before, and that testimony is lost, there's no handwritten record, but they said it, and then they were testifying maybe a hundred years later. Most of what is known historically today about Muhammad, about Mecca, about all that stuff, is written, if you go back to the earliest writing stuff, is written hundreds of years after it took place historically. Here we have imperial Evidence, Uh, 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 It is absolute. All of this evidence that we have. And this is what Paul is referencing right here. Proof that he died? Well, there's a grave. He was buried. We know he was buried. We know where he was buried. We know when he was buried. We know the whole story. And then proof that he rose again? Well, he was seen of all these people. And look at what he says also. He said, not only do we have proof of people present at the time that it happened, we have proof that Jesus Christ was because, he said, it happened, what? According to the scriptures. There's no other faith, no other religion in the history of the world that has hundreds and thousands of years of prophecy that comes to pass when it says it comes to pass. So for you, it takes more faith, when you really get to studying this, it takes more faith to believe that it did not happen than it does for you to believe that it did happen. Right. I, I like to study ancient cultures, ancient history, and it's amazing how little is written about stuff and how much is expounded on the little bit that they find. Um, it's like, okay, it's like the fossil record. Is, isn't it funny? They go and they find something and, aha, here it is. They found some new massive you know, whatever kind of creature and you go and you read and actually what it was, well, it's the uh, seventh vertebrae of their spine was found and they dusted it away. And from there, from that one little thing, they're able to build this whole massive thing And scientists say, look, you know, this, this is what it all is. The absurdity of the historical argument against Christianity is you look at, at certain religions because you found one piece and you make a whole, a whole creature out of the one piece that you find, but you come across a fully intact fossil all laid out for you. And you say, no, that, that, just, that, that, that really wasn't a fossil. That was just a bunch of stuff that all floated together and came together. That, there's, that actually wasn't a, a creature. There. And they just walk away and they acknowledge it. Well, what did Jesus say? He said, well, men love darkness because their deeds are evil. And some people, it doesn't matter if they stared him in the face. They're they're still going to say, nope, 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 nope. I'm not going to accept it. I'm going to reject it. And so Paul is making a strong defense here of Christianity. This is a strong defense of Christianity. The eyewitnesses accounts, the testimony of Scripture, just like Scripture uh, took place. It was fulfilled. It's so beautiful. I love it. I love it. I love the study of scripture because the best study of the word is, is a study of the word by the word. It's for the best interpretation. And it fulfills everything. Christ fulfilled everything. He, he, became, uh, uh, he became the spotless lamb. He, became, he fulfilled the, the type. That's why the Bible says the Old Testament. Don't ever throw the Old Testament away or think, I don't need to read the Old Testament. No, the Old Testament is our schoolmaster. It speaks to us in types and shadows. It shows us, it taught us. It was our teacher bringing us to Christ. The whole purpose of of the law in the Old Testament was to bring us to Christ, to show us when Christ comes, this is what God has been talking about for hundreds of years. And so that's why God had to have a people. He had to have a people that he started with. That was what was special about the, the, the Abrahamic people, the people of Israel, what was special about them was it was through them, God used them. God never, God never said, no, no, you're greater than somebody else. God never put, uh, God wasn't prejudiced in that sense, but he had to find someone and it was Abraham and he made a promise to Abraham and his seed and Isaac and to Jacob, Israel, and, and then to David all the way down. I'm, I'm going I'm to use you to show the rest of the world. I'm going to teach you and show you things. And so, so each one of them would have progressive revelations. They would have things and they would keep adding to that revelation. David would have revelation and it would go on and Ezekiel and Isaiah and they would put all of these things together. They didn't even understand everything. But when we come to the time of Christ and the life of Christ, wow, it's scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture and he is fulfilling them all. Yeah. Not only in who he was uh, uh, fulfilling, but in what he did he fulfilled the scriptures. He fulfilled the scriptures unto them. And he was letting them know, hey, I am he. You can put your faith and your trust in me. I don't have time to go through all that. But according to the scriptures, he proved all that. So he was seen. He was seen of Cephas. That is the um, Aramaic name of the apostle Peter, what we would call Peter. After, uh, After that of the 12, the original apostles, after that he was seen of above 500 people at once, 500 at one setting, at one time, Christ was seen. Now, Bible doesn't tell us everything there is to know, but it tells us everything we do need to know. We do see eight different times. After, after the resurrection, we see eight different scenes. I think it's eight, eight or 10 different scenes that we see. But Christ, remember, was on earth for 40 days. So he's here for 40 days. We only see eight or 10 little snapshots of those 40 days. Those other days, he's doing all kinds of stuff that we don't even know about. We we, we don't even know. It, it, It was too much to write. And here Paul testifies that Jesus was seen of 500 people at one time. Imagine what would happen today if somebody stood up out of a casket or was buried, came up out of a grave, and was walking around and people were seeing them, 500 people. Imagine how much community news that would make. Okay, what did, what did, when, when the cards woke up, the guards ran back and told them, uh, told the priest, told them what happened. Hey, there was an earthquake. We all fainted. And when we wake up, the tomb, we see angels. When we wake up, the tomb is empty and he's gone. And when we walk in there, his, his clothes are all folded there left, meaning he's not coming back. And they paid them off. They said, well, here, we're going to pay you. and Just lie and tell them that somebody came and stole their body. You mean, you mean a bunch of unarmed Jews came and, and overran a, a, a whole group of Roman soldiers and stole the body? And they paid them off, and that's what they said. Who, who in their right mind would have believed that? So um, this was the ultimate conspiracy theory. Right there, this didn't happen. So here he is, seen of five hundred at once. He said, "The greater part remain unto present." So, so they could refute this, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. Now, there's an interesting thing here. I'll highlight. He mentioned he was seen of Cephas and of the twelve. He mentioned he was seen of five hundred. He specifically mentioned that he was seen of James. James would become sort of the head of the church. He would become the bishop of the church. That's why in Acts chapter 12, when they sought to kill uh, uh, the preacher, they went after James. They knew he was the first. And so they go first for James and behead him. They tried to stop him. If you kill the leader, he's the leader of the church. If we kill the leader, it it all goes away. Well, obviously it spread like wildfire from doing that. But he puts them together Uh, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and the last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. Christ would yet appear one more time, and that would be to John on the Isle of Patmos when he would write the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ, and he would see him very clearly. So when Paul says, last of all, he's talking here, some believe that this is uh, Paul letting us know that the, the, the office of the apostles had been established uh, in the church after Judas, of course, betrays Christ. He goes out and he kills himself and they replace Judas, the office of Judas with Matthias in Acts chapter one. And so Paul here references that he was seen of James, then he says of all the apostles, and the apostles, that would be understood, of those original 12. Paul qualified himself as an apostle because uh, to be an apostle, there were certain qualifications because he had seen Jesus. uh, And he says, last of all, some believe that Paul was saying that he was the last of the apostles. And later on, when it says we were built on the foundation of the apostles' doctrine, that is emphatically referring to uh, apostles' Uh, in the New Testament. So some people today, you know, believe, well, there's apostles and prophets and all that stuff in the church, and that we're still, you, you'll hear sometimes people use those definitions of what an apostle is, um, and that they'll refer to themselves as an apostle. Well, I think we have to be careful in saying that because we're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and that is sort of what the historical Catholic churches believe that sort of uh, the Pope can sort of redefine whatever he wants to define in doctrine, and church and doctrine changes. And actually what Paul is arguing here is that the doctrine doesn't change. It's built on the death, the burial and the resurrection. It doesn't matter what anybody says, that's what it is. And so you cannot change that. So that's an interesting. All right, let's read on.
0: For I am the least of the apostles. Yes, that I'm not me to be
1: called an apostle. All right? Because yes? because I persecuted the Church of God. That's a pretty good reason why you should feel bad. It killed a lot of people in the church that you now serve, that you're now a part of. There was regret and remorse there in that sense. Now, Paul, obviously he was not, there was no condemnation. And this is, I want to highlight this. Paul did not have condemnation because he feels qualified uh, to introduce himself as an apostle. He, he, He has been redeemed by the power of God. But yet at the same time, he can acknowledge what he did in his past life. And he can live with that regret and that remorse and that reality of, I'm the least. Look at what I did. He comes with the honest humility, a vulnerability here. There's, I, I, I was not right. I'm the least, least called. But thank God for the grace of God, amen, that redeems us. So we can be in touch with the reality of the things that we have done in our past and yet not be under the condemnation of what we did in our past. Can I get an amen? Amen. God does not want us to live under condemnation. We can acknowledge the reality. Yeah, sure, I did this. Yeah, I persecuted the church. Yeah, I killed people. Yeah, I was there. I, I, was, I was the worst. But he says so. I mean, he doesn't say so, though, in some defeated, condemning way. You know, he. Could, I mean, he could have really messed up with that. He could have gone to those families. I can never replace what I took away from you. I can never replace what I robbed from the church. I can never replace the mothers and the fathers that I robbed from their children. I can never replace that. But he has he not overcome with that condemnation. He knows that he has been redeemed. He knows that God did the work in his life, that God chose him. And so he gets past that condemnation. I want to encourage you, don't let the enemy try to condemn you for the things that you've done in your past. Amen. Because of the death, the burial, and the resurrection, what I was is dead. It's been buried. And I am a new creature in Christ Jesus. I'm not that old person. If I had to do over again, well, I wish I could change the things. Absolutely. But I am no longer that person. That person that you despise. Yeah, I despise too. But he went down to the watery grave and he's buried. And I am a new creature in Christ Jesus. Therefore, I am not bound by the condemnation that should be saddled on the old person. I'm a new person in Christ Jesus. Go on. But by the grace of God. Yes. I am what I am. By the grace of God,
0: I am what I am. What I am, yes. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, hallelujah, was not in vain. Not in vain. But I labored more abundantly
1: than they all. Yeah, Paul's saying, look, I had a harder thing. They, 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 they were believers. They were, they were with Christ. They didn't have a hard time. Me? You know how hard it is to be a convert when you murdered the church? Uh, I, I, I had an uphill battle. I had an uphill struggle. But if God did it for me, God can do it for you. And he did it by his grace, in spite of what I was, God still called me, I preached about that Sunday. In spite of our failures, God still calls us. In spite of the failures he knew, God's still calling us. Just read on. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. The grace of God, look, I did, he, he's saying, look, I had an uphill battle, uphill battle, but it wasn't me, it wasn't my effort, no. It was, if anything, it, it took more grace for God to save me than it took for God to save them. And this is what Paul is saying. Look, the grace of God is doing this. Go on. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach. Yes, so ye believe. Yes, so whether I, it doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it was me. It doesn't matter if it was him. That's not the point. The point is, is that we preached and you believed. We preached the gospel of Jesus Christ and you believed. I, I love this because Paul just blows out all kinds of celebrity Christianity. He says, look, it's not about the person. It's not about even about the testimony. Well, I have a bigger testimony here. Well, God, save me from a longer way. I ought to be. And Paul said, no, you're, you're missing the whole point. This isn't about us. This is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. It's about you hearing. It's about you being saved. All right, let's go on. Now,
0: if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, all right, how say some among you that
1: there is no resurrection of the dead? Okay, so this is the main issue that Paul is getting to here. The critical point, the critical point of this was that there were people that believed in the Corinthian church that Christ uh, was raised from the dead, but that there was no resurrection, there was no afterlife, meaning that when you die, you die, it's done, it's over. It's over. So this is a problem. This is a problem. And Paul's going to go through this. He's going to sort of spell this out here. All right, read on. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, right, then is
0: Christ not risen? All right. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain? Yes. Your faith is also vain? Yes. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he raised not up. Yes. If so be that the dead rise not. All right. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised? All right. Read on, and if Christ be not raised, your
1: faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. Ye are yet in your sins. All right, so Paul's making this argument here, and he's he's going to go through here. Um, verse 12, if we go back that now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some of you that there is no resurrection of the dead? Now, we, we may not understand everything, how he heard this, and remember we've done this before, we don't see the original letter that was written to Paul. We don't understand the original correspondence, what he's responding to. So he's dealing with an issue. So we, we only have one side to sort of jump to. But there was a group that, that believed that they would acknowledge, yes, Christ rose from the grave because everything sort of breaks down if he does it. If your Messiah is still dead, well, it doesn't really work. That's not really a great story. Um. But so they would acknowledge that, but they did not believe that people rose from the grave. So um, we know that the Sadducees, that was a, a political class of, of Jews, uh, that was the ruling class of the priesthood, uh, did not believe in a bodily resurrection. They believed that what you lived on this life was it. And uh, yeah, afterlife, no, there's no resurrection. Um, there was a great revival. Uh, they were, uh, the Sadducees in, in a lot of cases were Hellenistic. Uh, they were basically uh, Jews by culture and tradition and Romans by lifestyle. And so they lived uh, a Roman pagan life, but they were the wealthy um, uh, aristocratic priesthood that ruled the temple, and so they uh, would go through their religious customs. They would go through all the c- ceremonies. They would ex- extort the people. They would charge, the, charge them premium prices for their sacrifices. They were into money-making, and a lot of people hated them for it. Uh, there was a great revival, one of, the, one of the most probably overlooked revivals in the early church, is recorded in Acts chapter 6 when it says a great company of priests believed. They converted. For a Sadducee priest to convert, they would have had to walk away from a lifestyle that was a gold mine, Uh, um, a materialistic gold mine uh, a a Hellen, uh, Hellenistic pagan lifestyle that knew pleasure, no limit on pleasure, every pleasure the world had to offer. And the Bible says that there was a great company of priests that converted. That means they walked away from everything. Um, uh, I, I wish I could go into that. But they didn't believe in the resurrection. So we don't know if this was sort of a hangover, something that sort of infiltrated, but it seems to be unique to Corinth. Uh, One one thing we do know is that the Greco-Roman world that they lived in uh, was revolted by this concept of uh, your dead, decayed body uh, resurrecting again. That's gross. No, that that didn't happen. Uh, They only believed that the spirit or the soul would go on and be immortal and uh, sort of live on forever, uh, like, um, uh, you know, uh, babies flying around with little wings or whatever that, you know, and you're just sort of in this kind of uh, euphoric, it's not really, there's no physical um, reality, and there's just, uh, you're, you're sort of just in a spiritual, uh, uh, I don't even know if I'm saying this right, but more of like this spiritual state, there's no physical reality after life, so everything that you uh, uh, live for and exist right now, that's it. When, it, when you're done, you're, you're dead, it's over. Whatever the reason, whatever the, the, the influence, the people in the Corinthian church were believing that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. They were saying he rose from the grave, but no one else raises, is, is, is raised from the grave. And Paul is going to deal with this issue. There is a bodily resurrection, Christ rose from the grave, there is a bodily resurrection that when we die, Christ is going to resurrect our physical body, our literal physical body. Uh, he's going to raise it up. If God does not raise the dead, if no dead are raised, then Jesus Christ, as God manifests in the flesh, was not raised from the dead. And Paul says, you can't have it both ways. You can't have one man being raised and no one else. It doesn't work. If the dead are not raised, then Christ is not risen. But if Christ is risen, then the dead are raised. There is hope. There is a bodily resurrection. This is what Paul is espousing. So if you are saying that there is no resurrection, then Christ did not rise again. And if Christ did not rise again, he gives us seven consequences of what happens here. If Christ did not rise again, he goes and he says, our preaching is useless. Your faith is useless. The apostles are lying about God. The Corinthians are believing futilely. You are still in your sins. And then he goes on and says, believers who have died, have perished, they're gone, they which are fallen asleep in Christ, verse 18, are perished, they're done away with, right? Okay, it's over for them,
0: and then read verse 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we
1: are of all men
0: most miserable.
1: If the dead rise not, then and we only have hope in Christ, then we are of all men most miserable. If this is it, If everything we're living for is right now, this is pretty sorry. All right. Now, are we blessed? We're blessed. Yes, we're blessed. Uh, Thank God. How many know living for God is better? It's the best way to live, right? It's the best way to live life. But be careful. Be careful because Christianity today, especially westernized American materialistic Christianity prosperity gospel is preaching that you got to live for Christ. It's the best way to live. Well, that's because you're living in a modern culture that's based on somewhat Christian values that has enjoyed the blessings of Christian principles and you haven't experienced persecution. But what if all that changes? And what if you're being fed to lions? And what if you are having to run for your life? And what if you're being marginalized against? And what if you're being run out of your homes? And what if you can't get deals in the shops because once they find out who you are, they're cheating you and they're robbing you. And you're the one that's living around suffering. And this is it? I'm going to tell you, it's a dangerous thing. And this this has crept into our American, our American Christianity. America is on the forefront of this, of presenting the gospel as this is the this is the way you want to live. Because when you live for God, you're going to get a bigger house, you're going to get a better car you're going to get a better paycheck, you're going to be healthy, you're going to be wealthy, you're going to be wise, you're going to do all that stuff. Well, that doesn't work everywhere. And that's not what Christ said. He didn't say, if you want to follow me, step in line. You get a car, you get a car, everybody gets a car. No, he said, take up your cross daily and follow me. Now, does the blessings of God, do they come? Yes, no, will they bl- yeah, absolutely, they'll bless you. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor has seen begging bread. Don't cheat God, you give to God, God will always provide for you and God will take care, for, care of you, amen. But that doesn't mean you're winning the lottery. Sometimes that means God's gonna feed you by ravens and you're not gonna have the luxury of being a germaphobe because you're gonna to have to eat what God brings you and you can't be- get picky with the blessings that God gives you. And so this is what Paul is saying. If we are, if only in this life we have hope, we are of all men most miserable. Anybody ever feel miserable living for God? Nobody's gonna help me preach. Thank you. Back there off camera raising your hand. Thank you. Come on. Come on. That's all right. If sometimes living for God is miserable, That's okay. You're human. You're real. You're alive. You're dealing with realities of things, okay? We're not living. Amen. Yes, I want the Holy Ghost. Yes, I want the joy of the Lord. Yes, I want the blessings of the Lord. Amen. But I'm not living just for this life and what I can get out of this life and what God gives me in this life. No, we are living for the resurrection. That is everything. And this is what Paul is saying. This is what Paul is is arguing. Amen. Amen. So these seven things he gives to us, if God did not raise from the dead, uh, uh, if God did not raise the dead, then Christ was not raised from the dead. But if Christ is not raised from the dead, then these seven things, our preaching is useless, your faith is useless, we're lying to you about God, you're believing futilely, is, there's real no hope. Why, why are you living this way? Uh, uh, you're still in your sins, if Christ didn't die, if Christ didn't rise again, then he died. He didn't conquer anything. He didn't conquer sin. He, he, he was the penalty of sin, but he didn't conquer sin. You're still in your sins. You are not delivered. You are not set free. And he said, believers who have died have perished. It's over. They're done. There's, you're never going to see them again. It's over. All right. And we're, we are to be pitied if our hope is limited to only this Life. He said, but these things are true. We did see Christ with our own eyes. We beheld him. Peter said, we were eyewitnesses of his majesties. We saw him. We were there. We know that's true. So if Christ is raised at all, then God raises the dead. And the dead are raised. And we do have a hope. Amen. So if these things are true, then your premise is false. If your premise is true, then all of these other things are false. Uh, are true. But if these things are false, then your premise is false and Christ does raise from the dead. Amen. All right. Let's go on. But now
0: is Christ risen from the dead. Yes. He's testifying. Yes, absolutely. And become the first fruits of them that slept. All right. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. Yes. Yes. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Yes. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. Yes. Then come at the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. Yes. The
1: last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Is death. All right, so we're going to pause here tonight because uh, we don't have enough time to finish this line of thinking that he has established here for us. But I will, I will skip ahead to verse thirty, and this was just a powerful thing that sort of goes on in this same line of thinking. And read verse thirty, if you will. And why stand we in jeopardy every hour? So he going back for because I think verse nineteen and verse thirty sort of go together, he, he, re, he recircles back and touches this again. If, if we in this life, and it, it, for me to say it in this modern context, you may not understand it, but Paul, who has been persecuted, who has been beaten, who has been stoned, left for dead, who has been shipwrecked, who has been betrayed, who has had to walk away from everything, the church knowing what they are dealing with, the persecution that they are dealing with at this time, the things that are going on, Paul says, if, if this is our only hope, he said, we're of all men most miserable. Later on, he says, if, if the dead rise not, if this is it, if all we are living for is in this life, then why am I, and I'm paraphrasing verse 30, Paul says, why am I risking my life for the gospel's sake? Because if after I die, I'm dead, why am I risking my life? Why am I putting my life on the line? If this is all there is to experience, then why am I not follow that line of thinking that I'm going to be living my life to the fullest? No, he said, but no, I, I, I do put my life in jeopardy. And he goes on and says, I, I've stood. I stood before beast. I've dealt with issues. I've done these things. But if the dead rise not, then I've done all of this in vain. It's hopeless. It's pointless. No, there is a bodily resurrection. Now, let me just make a note here and we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up with this make a note on this. We believe in the bodily resurrection. And I'll talk about this next, not next week, but the week after next. Um, because he, he, he says, uh, he gives us the order. He says in verse 23, but every man in his own order, Christ, the first truth, after that they that are Christ that is coming, then cometh the end. So I think people are well-intentioned sometimes, you know, the moment we die, we are, uh, we're gone, we're with the Lord. And, you know, the moment somebody passes away, we have them dancing on the streets of gold. Um, the only problem with that is, is, is they're not dancing on the streets of gold when they're still laying here or they're still buried, okay? We believe in a bodily, physical resurrection. Your body, you are body, soul, and spirit. That body is not just discardable. That body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And that body, though it is mortal now, shall put on immortality. You'll be changed, but, it, but it's still that body that is going to be changed. That body will, will when, it's, when it's buried, will return dust and dust, ashes, ashes, but that dust, that ash, that will be changed. That will be resurrected. That will be called to life. That body, these feet, those feet are going to walk on streets of gold. These eyes are going to behold Jesus Christ. This mouth is going to eat at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Praise God. Hallelujah. It is a material. It is a physical, physical eternity. Hallelujah. Heaven is not just some uh, euphoric kind of concept that's just going to be like a conscious. We're not just going to be floating around in some kind of a, a, a altered state of consciousness. No, it is a physical bodily resurrection. Now, it's unlike anything we've ever seen, amen, and that we noted in Christ Jesus first because when he rose from the grave, amen, he appeared and disappeared, he walks through walls, he sits down with him, breaks bread and eats, amen, he vanishes out of thin air, he's gone in that moment, he has a glorified body, your body, my body is going to be resurrected unto life everlasting, this, and he talks about it, this mortal, shall put on immortality. And it is the Christian, it is the Judeo-Christian belief, uniquely historically, that has reverenced the body. And it has even been expressed in our, uh, uh, it is most pronounced and most expressed in our handling of the dead how we handle the dead. We take that body and we bury that body. Uh, Pagan religions, pagan pagan religions do all kinds of different things with the body. Uh, Most notorious, uh, they burn the body because the body's gone. They burn the body and and they discard it. Uh, Other places like in Egypt, they would take the body and they would wrap the body to try to preserve the body because they were trying to preserve that body forever. We acknowledge our limitations. We cannot preserve our body. And so we take the body and and we give it back to the Lord and we yield it to the Lord. And so that is where the Christian practice, the Judeo-Christian practice of burial takes place. That is a uniquely Christian thing. Now, that is become, in our modern world, a rather expensive thing. Takes work. That's not the way it was back in the day. Back in the day, uh, in in the Jewish practice, you had to bury the body within uh, 24 hours. And it had to be buried. So people that were traveled from far distances could never, no way, ever make a funeral. There was no way. By the time they would get there, they would be seeing a gravesite. And uh, that's sort of where a wake would come. They would sit, sit up with the body until it was time of burial there. They, they would, you know, do their mourning, and then they early, uh, uh, as quick as they can, they commit that body to the grave, and they give that back to the Lord. Now, some people have used this to, to preach and teach against the practice of... Um, my mind's going blank. I got hit by a, thank you, cremation. Um, and, and use that as sort of a dogmatic thing. Well, there's problems. There's problems with that. There's problems with condemning anybody for doing cremation. Number one, uh, we, we lost a family member in a fire. So how do you answer that? It was already done without our decision. Um, that is So I think that is a bad thing to hold over people to say that, uh, you know, you are sinning when you do something like this. But I do believe that we should not in our acceptance and acknowledging of how funeral practices in America have gotten so expensive just by nature of things um, that we have priced people out of their desires for even a simple funeral. And some people are left to nothing else. Uh, I do think that while we understand that we're sort of put in a unique position, we should not just throw out our regard for the body and say, well, it doesn't matter because that is not biblical. And what Paul is talking about here is no, the body has value. The body has value. Your body is going to be resurrected. God made you. Now, your body may not be perfect, but but in heaven, it, it will be changed. But this, this, this is what God is going to redeem. This is what God is going to resurrect. This is what God is going to raise up. Now, I don't know what age it'll be. Don't ask me that question because I don't have that. I don't, I don't know all that stuff. But our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. So we, we, we take care of our bodies. You ought to take care of your body. You ought to honor God with your body. You are body, soul, and spirit. And we believe in this body being resurrected. That is a Christian doctrine. And thank God we have a hope in Christ. Stand together with me tonight. Amen. Everybody love the word? Is this all right tonight? Did I bore you a little bit? Amen. Did we just talking about the things of God? Trying to navigate some of this stuff? And we'll continue on. We'll finish. Lord, help us finish chapter 15 next time.